Welcome to the Defence Forces podcast brought to you by the Defence Forces Public Relations Branch. Hello and welcome to the Irish Defence Forces podcast. My name is Captain Keen Clancy and today we're chatting to Sergeant Larry Havens who's an uncommissioned officer in the One Armoured Cavalry Squadron in the Curragh Camp about the Cavalry Corps in the Irish Defence Forces. Welcome, Serge. Good afternoon, sir. How are we doing? Good, good. Thanks very much for coming on. Thank much you. appreciate it. Expanding our knowledge on the Cavalry Corps. So, um, as we talked about before the uh, before we actually started recording, we're going to talk a bit about, we're going to give a, bit, give a bit about your own background. We're going to talk a bit about the history of the Cavalry Corps and the Defence Forces and a bit about core traditions and maybe the core makeup and, and how it's set up. And then we'll go in and we'll talk a bit about what it takes to make soldiers go from finishing their three-star training and their recruit training to become a qualified trooper for overseas. And we'll include in that uh, recce, we'll include, uh, reconnaissance, we'll include talking about the various armoured vehicles that the Cavalry Corps operate. We'll finish then and talk a bit about if you want to become an NCO in the Cavalry Corps and what specialisations you do in that. So do you want to go in a bit for, for, for people listening out there on your own background in the Defence Forces? How long have you been in there? Okay, I joined the Defence Forces as a recruit in August 2001. So on completion of six months induction training of four months um, recruit training and over two months of two to three star training, I was posted to the 1st Armoured Cavalry Squadron in Plunkett Barracks in the Defence Force Training Centre in the, in the, in the Curragh Camp. Oh, right, yeah. And are you, are you local to that area? or would you I'm have... originally from Munster, Avon County, Kildare, and, and I'm living in uh, Port Arlington, in, in Port Arlington, married to Amy and two young sons, uh, Darren Tyke. Oh, very good. Hope they're all keeping safe. I'll keep them well, yeah, especially uh, in these, in these uh, current times, yeah. In these uncertain times. Yeah. Um, and did you have a family history in the Defence Forces or in the Cavalry Corps? Were you the first? Yeah, no, I, I have uh, uncles who served, cousins who are currently serving as well. My um, my uncle was uh, BQMS uh, Michael Boots Holligan and uh, an uncle uh, Sergeant Richie Holligan also served in the, he served in the Transport Corps and have currently uh, cousins who have served and who are currently serving as well. So Okay, so there's a strong uh, military tradition in the family. In the family, there is indeed, sir, yeah. Oh, so it was a natural thing for you to, to want to join the Defence Force? It was, yes. It was, you know, growing up and, uh, and you know, my mum telling me stories about her brothers uh, being overseas and seeing my cousins then going overseas, you know, it was kind of, you know, natural enough that I applied for and then was selected for recruit training. Yeah, yeah fantastic, yeah. And so you finish recruit training and you, you go into the Cavalry Corps. Do you, have a, do you have some kind of option to choose during recruit training or was it just that that was where you were sent or...? Well, we had the, there was three operational units in the Defence Forces Training Centre. So you were interviewed at the end of training in relation to where you, where you like to serve and then you were selected then and told, you know, in relation to which units you'd be posted to. Okay, right, fair enough. And you were obviously sent down to the Cavalry Squadron. For people outside who don't know, and a lot of people who wouldn't have a military background wouldn't be like, when we say cavalry, like what, what are we talking about? So I suppose when people talk about cavalry, and, and people have asked me that question before, is uh, they ask me, you know, do you work with horses? But <laughs> effectively, I suppose for 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 the for the core and right from its you know its its inception in, in 1922 has been uh, has been armour. Yeah. So they were actually originally known the cavalry corps originally known as the uh, as the armoured car corps as the armoured car corps, and then in 1934, then since then we've been known as the as the cavalry corps. Okay, right. So, and but it's about it's about mobility, about movement, but in the modern sense, with armor. Oh, absolutely. And and even since you know, since its inception, you know, introduction of the Landsberg tanks in 1935, and later in the 50s, the introduction of the Comet and Churchill main battle tanks, and in the 60s, then we would have seen the the Panard AML armored cars. They were procured and they seen service in Cyprus, Lebanon, and Liberia. 
going forward into the 80s then was the uh, procurement of the Scorpion CVRT um, reconnaissance vehicle. It's kind of the, like a light tank. Li- like yeah. Exactly, yeah, with, with a 76mm cannon. Uh, and that's seen service until 2014. At the moment, the armoured fleet we operate within is the Moic Piranha. Mm-hmm. And the specific variants are the uh, close recce vehicle and uh, medium reconnaissance vehicle as well. We know that there's like, in, in the Irish Defence Forces, there's a kind of an armour element to infantry as well, but what kind of roles are we talking about that, that make the cavalry above utility or make them distinct from, say, the infantry armour? The vehicles themselves are exactly the same in how they operate and what they provide you with mobility and firepower. However, for for the reconnaissance vehicles, uh, we, we come underneath what's known as the I-STAR framework, and, and that's intelligence, surveillance, uh, target acquisition, and reconnaissance. So effectively, the cavalry are the ISR of the I-STAR, so the intelligence, surveillance, and, and reconnaissance of, of, of the whole complete I-STAR framework. Okay, and, and to break it down further, that means that means going out kind of beyond your own lines and... Exactly, and, and, and recce in an explanation basically is, to give it maybe one sentence, is, is the gathering of timely and accurate information. So, yeah, cavalry units operate, so in close reconnaissance you're um, up to 10 kilometres away from ahead of your, let's say, your main body, and medium reconnaissance you're 10 to 75 kilometres ahead of your main body. So it's, it's going forward and, and gathering that information, creating a, a picture for, your, for your, your unit commander or the battalion commander on, on the information that, we, that would be sent back into your um, into your operations and your planning cell. Okay, yeah. so supporting the operation by gathering information and, and sending it back. And yeah, support, supporting through some other course. Exactly. Yeah. And and inside the Irish Defence Force itself, how are we talking? Is there a large proportion of cavalry, or where where, where do we see cavalry? Well, there are, there are four cavalry units. There are three squadrons and one. Then the other fourth unit is the uh, cavalry school. Okay, so the cavalry school is located next to our our squadron HQ in Plunkett Barracks in the Defence Force Training Centre. And the second cavalry squadron are located in Cattlebrook Barracks and Rat Mines. The first cavalry squadron are, are located in the Collins Barracks in Cork. Okay, right. And one of the things for people, if they were looking out, say, say they happen to attend a ministerial review before going overseas or, or a military parade or, say, the Easter parade or anything, one of the things that makes cavalry soldiers very recognisable straight off is that they wear a different headdress. That's right, sir. Yeah, we wear the, the Glengarry cap. It's um, by means of a description. It's a cap is green with a black band and and two black ribbons on on the end. And it's traditionally it's a Scottish med cap, and uh, which the wearing of the Glengarry cap dates back as far as the late seventeen hundreds. It was the it was designed actually for the corps in around in, in the early nineteen thirties for the simple reason was the standard headdress for the defence force at the time was a peaked cap, but with the introduction to the the Landsvark tanks and and, and armour within the corps. So for troopers, NCOs and officers of the Corps getting in and out of armour, it was more comfortable for them to wear kind of maybe a smaller cap without the peak, and that's how the, the Glengarry cap was introduced to the Cavalry Corps. Okay, so it was kind of, there was a utility there for when you're driving around or, or moving. Exactly, yeah, if you're up from the turret or within the turret as well, yeah. But it's, it's interesting because from an, from an identity point of view, I mean, the wearing of Glengarry is a real, is a real kind of symbolising thing for members of the Corps, as I understand it. Oh, yes. It's a very good esprit de corps in the Cavalry Corps. It, it, it does indeed, and it's a, it's a means of, it's, I suppose it's an identification of, of personnel 
within the core as well, yeah. As regards other core traditions, or, or I mean, everybody who I've ever met in the Catholic core is very, very proud to be in the core, and, and, and there's there's a really good sense around it. Um, would you have gotten that yourself during, through, through your own career? Oh, absolutely, yeah, and it's, it's the various tasks which the core have. For example, like the 2nd second, second Brigade Cavalry Squadron, as I mentioned, based in Cottlebrew Barracks, they are the main presidential motorcycle escort unit. So any, any sort of ceremonial taskings that units within the Defence Force would have, the main unit conduct all motorcycle escorts for any dignitaries, VIPs, and for, for the president himself. So that's a good dearest point of pride for the core. Oh, absolutely, and, yeah. yeah, yeah. Like that. So like when we talk about the, those core skills you mentioned earlier, you're talking about mobility and armour, and you're also talking about that kind of reconnaissance and like um, kind of putting in observation posts and all that must be part of that and operating out on your own and a lot of um, self-sufficiency. Self-sufficient is a, is a big thing and, and flexibility. So for, for example, um, various tasks that we might get let's say more kind of in, in let's say within the um within the battle space would be close target reconnaissance tasks and observation post screen tasks so you're effectively are you're out there you're tasked a team or a reconnaissance team or a reconnaissance detachment are dropped off and given a task and to conduct close target recce on an objective a named area of objective or a target area of interest gather that information in relation to strengths location how you know, let's say hostile forces are operating, gathering all that information and getting that back to create a picture. So from there, the, the unit commander or the battalion commander can task and launch, you know, other elements that he has at his disposal. Okay, right, but so, so if we were to say to walk it back slightly, kind of from there, because when you do your two to three star training, you do do a certain amount of kind of navigation and, and, and tactical training to bring you up to, to the level of a qualified trained soldier. But in order to qualify, um, say, a private soldier straight out of recruit training to, as a cavalry trooper to serve overseas. Like, what's the first core skill that you would see, that you see yourself learning? Well, from start to finish, sir, it, it does take a considerable amount of time. But as you mentioned, within our two to three star recruit training, we do a, a, a certain amount of, of navigation and map reading training. However, on completion of your two to three star training and for, for officers when they complete their cadetship training, once posted to a squadron, the first course that you will have to complete as a cavalry person is the basic reconnaissance course. Okay. So it's six weeks in duration, it's, it's quite a physically robust, time-consuming course, and there's a massive main emphasis on navigation. We're talking about the recce course, you're just in, it's the first course you do to become a qualified cavalry trooper. What, what, are, what are the main elements of the recce course? How does it, how does it set up? It's, it's the, well, the main emphasis, is, as, as, as I previously mentioned, was on map reading and navigation. However, a high level of physical fitness as well. And, and this is tested on day one when all students have to complete a combat fitness assessment. Mm -hmm. Okay, so it's, it's carrying of a certain weight across, across undulating terrain um, within a time frame. So students have, it's a pass or fail, and they have, if they do fail, they have a 24-hour period in which they can have a retest, but to progress on the course, they have to pass the pass the combat fitness assessment. So this kind of sets the standard as to a as to where a student needs to be coming on the course. What kind of distances we're, talk we're talking for for the combat fitness assessment? Ten it? kilometers. It's ten kilometers. Ten kilometers. And then yeah. With a 35 pound weight. 25 pound. Weight. It's changed slightly. So at the moment, the, the training instruction has changed, but um, you're talking ten kilometers. It's basically to prepare you to have you ready for further on in the course when you go into the night navigation exercises and you're, you're operating self-sufficiently on your own, carrying weight for maybe up to a 96 hour period. Yeah, and of course if you're doing that and you also have to navigate at the same time, you can't be, you need to have a certain standard of fitness. Well, absolutely, yeah. Uh, you know, both mentally and, and, and physically that is, you know, map reading, use of the compass, getting from A to B and on to C and on to D and 
by all means, being physically fit and, and, and robust and ready for that as well. Yeah, definitely. And so, like, if you were running a if you were running a recce course, say in the Armour Cavalry Squadron in, in in the Curra, so new tree stars would have would have done a certain amount of navigation. But how do you start it off, kind of slowly, just to bring people back into the navigation side of it? Yeah, there, there's a the initial block, the first two week block of the course is is based solely on on map reading and navigation. So before the students move on to their tactical block, they'll do the map reading and navigation, prepare for their tests. Once they pass their night navigation test, they move on to the tactical block. And then this, the, the instructors and the training staff are happy that when the students are out on the ground, self-sufficient, navigating to, you know, on, on a close target reconnaissance or on an observation post tasking, that they know how to get there. Yeah. And they are on their own effectively in, in how they conduct the taskings, yeah. Of course, yeah. So, yeah. so, that's, so that's two weeks initially? Yeah, of, of map reading and navigation, yeah. And then the tactical block. So what's, in, what's involved in the tactical block? Tactical block lasts for four weeks and the culmination of that is a, is a 96-hour uh, tactical exercise which kind of brings together everything that the, the students have been taught throughout. Okay, and but how does it start out the tactical block? What are the kind of initial things that you're... The initial things is, is it's lecture-based, mm -hmm. building to kind of a walkthrough, talk-through into different, like a close target reconnaissance exercise, an observation post exercise, and then this all comes together on the final week where students are dropped off, given an objective, and the students are tasked with, okay, completing these close target recce's observation post screens, which initially, which fundamentally leads to the very end to uh, the course conducting what's known as a raid. Yeah. So it's kind of, you adopting the principle of find, fix, and then strike at the very end. So throughout the four weeks of the tactical block and even up onto that when they're on the navigation block, it's, it, it's all about getting information. So even on navigate, the navigation block is the emphasis on getting information. So students have to get to certain control points and mark them on a control card. And if yeah. they don't, it, it kind of simulates them not getting information. So it's, yeah, so it's, so it's not about going over around the hills for a day. It's, it's for about a, going from no. point to point and you have to be... You have to be switched on and, exactly. and getting that info. And, and getting, you know, and the emphasis is definitely put on that. So once students pass their night navigation exercise, if they do fail the night navigation test, they get a retest. On failure of the retest, they do, not, they do not progress in the course. Okay, right. So yes. Well, there has to be a minimum standard. Exactly. Oh, definitely, most certainly. So once they progress onto the tactical block, as I said, it's lecture-based, kind of a walk-through, talk-through based. And then they complete various separate exercises throughout the, the first three weeks of the tactical block, and then everything comes together then on the final week. Cool. Well, like, going back to something you mentioned there, which kind of which caught my caught my eyes. We were going through like the close target recce aspect, which is kind of one of the initial things that you start to learn how to do you know, stalks and that kind of thing. I can remember in my own training do, doing a few of them. And just for pe for people, who, a close target recce. Like when, when you say close, what, what are you talking about to to a target? Like as in as close as you can get without being. Uh, effectively compromised yeah so it's 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 taking it's it's seizing the opportunity to get in as close as you can without compromising you know your detachment yeah so it's very it's it, it quite simply i suppose for 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 people who are, are listening is a uh, team are dropped off by means of mobility we spoke about the moags they're dropped off they're self-sufficient they will patrol through a series of rendezvous to a final rendezvous the team will split in half one half of the team will secure that final rendezvous and the second half of the team will go in and conduct the close target reconnaissance. So effectively what they're doing is they're getting in on the objective, getting eyes on the objective, spending a considerable amount of time on the objective, going full 360, getting eyes on and they're, they're planning. So they want to get information on, on, on a hostile. So the strength, are they carrying weapons? Have the vehicles? Have they mounted defensive positions? And further, what, what they're also thinking about is that should we be tasked with conducting a raid in this location, 
where can we put our first support group? Where can we put the manoeuvre element of, of our team that they can, they can fire and manoeuvre safely on the location? Once the team has done this, they're constantly, they have to fill out a patrol report. They have to fill out, do a sketch of the area. They also have to fill out what's called a SLAMAG, so it gives strength, location, attitudes, the method, the morale of troops, that the personnel that they're, they're conducting the operation on, and the ground as well, so G for ground, so ideal location for, as I said, where we put our first support group yeah. if we're conducting a raid. Where can we put our manoeuvre element? Okay. Drawing a sketch, and they're just gathering all this information, bringing it back, reporting that, and that'll go up further up into, the, up into Squadron HQ or the Squadron Upsell, or the battalion upsell, depending on how they're operating and who they're being tasked to, to so conduct the these operations for. Like the next, the next stage of the operation. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's like saying to someone, like in, in simple terms, I want you to go there, there's people hanging around there, get eyes on, tell me what they're doing, tell me what they're wearing, tell me what equipment they're carrying, tell me if we want to launch you know, a raid on that, where can I put my FSG? Where can we put them in the Exactly, yeah. And not and not be seen then as well. That is the most important thing because if you're seen, you're compromised, it's it's back to the FRV. You're also comprom- you're not just compromising the other half of the team, but you're you're compromising everyone else that's part of the bigger picture as well. Yeah, and it's it's funny because it brings me back to do, to doing one at one stage with a with a classmate of mine, we were we were, as I say, doing that and you're flat your belly going across around the objective. And I remember hitting a smoke grenade, and then of course you're just take you're just taking that's out it, you're, you're out of there, yeah. 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 yeah, it's it's just it's just abandon everything you're doing and get out of there. And you might have only got a certain amount of information, but you want to get all the information that you can get, that you can back brief then the troop commander or the squadron commander or even the battalion commander. Yeah, and of course, if you, if you are seen, you deal, the objective will completely change anyway because people at the objective will know that they're being watched. Exactly, and, and they, they will probably relocate from there as well. Yeah. So it's it just complete. It's it's you're going back to scratch and you're you're trying to gather all this information again. So it's quite important that you, you definitely on a, on a close target record that you're not compromised. Get in, get the information, gather it all in, and then back out and and back brief then your 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 commander. It's an interesting one you you mentioned as well earlier that you're operating in detachments, and we would have discussed with um, I think we probably mentioned in the Kadetia podcast we did a few weeks ago. The, the section of nine is the, is the kind of standard operator for say for infantry tactics and for um, for kind of more sort of less specialised roles, but the cavalry operates slightly differently. Yeah, it depended on you could be tasked as a four man detachment or a six man detachment. So your basic four man detachment, you're, you you have your lead scout, your detachment commander, your radio operator, and what we know we call is is your your your, your tail end or your or your, your magman. So he carries the GPMG and that's your first support for the detachment. So it's. It's less than half, you know, half the size of your standard section yeah. as you're taught in your induction training, yeah. But they, they, these people are carrying everything they need and they're self-sufficient for everything they need to do in relation to weapons, ammunition, signals equipment, night vision equipment, thermal imagery. So they're carrying a considerable amount of weight as well. Yeah, so again, again, with the physical robustness comes back into it. Oh yeah, but, absolutely. Yeah. But like they're out on their own. And just for people at home as well, I'm sure a lot of our listeners will know already, but GPMG being general purpose machine gun, the main fire support weapon of, of a section or in this our case. detachment, yeah. Detachment. yeah. You've, you've done and you've been trained in kind of close target recce and then we move on in the, in the tactical block to kind of more um, OP operations or observation posts. Post, yeah. yeah, so you're tasked with a mounted or dismounted uh, observation post screen. So you're sent, you're sent forward, mounted or dismounted. Mounted, you're in the vehicles themselves and, and they have a sophisticated sighting system within them. For the dismounted personnel, they're dropped off at a drop-off point. They patrol, as per the C- CTR, effectively through a series of RVs to their location. They are getting eyes on what's known as an NAI or a named area of interest or a TI, which is known as, is, is known as a target area of interest. In relation to the OP, you're completely self-sufficient for maybe a period of 72 up to 96 hours. So effectively, what you're doing is 
for an OP is, in layman's terms, is you're digging a hole in the ground to get in, to not be seen, to get eyes on a location. So you're sitting in that hole in the ground through a small, what we call as an aperture. Looking through that by day with your binoculars and by night by your night vision equipment and thermal imagery equipment. And we, we, like, we recently did a podcast as well um, with Sergeant Carl Johnston from also from, from the current camp on the makeup of, say, a sniper um, OP. And I presume you have to do a kind of a routine style thing in the Calvary Corps as well, whereby you have one person, say, resting, one person watching? Or... Yeah. Yeah, so within that, if that four-man team is there, you're, you have one person on OBS, one person on, on security. So he's covering off the rear of the OP with the general purpose machine gun to rest and then you're rotating. But prior to conducting or on construction of your OP is to make sure that if you want to, if you don't have, it's communications. So it's, it's establishing, a, sending what's known as a lock stat to a higher HQ. Once you've established that, you're happy enough. You do various uh, intervisibility sketches so you, can, you know you have eyes on the objective and then you go into your, uh, your routine of constructing the OP, which is generally done at night for the obvious reason that you don't want to you compromise yourself yet. When, when we say lock stat, it's over location state, state, I believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. Okay. And once you're in the OP then, so lock stat sent, you have comms, you start to construct the OP, the OP is constructed, you're in the OP. So what you do not want to do is, is be compromised by means of a hostile force are going to conduct a walk past and you see an OP. So there's different types of OPs. There's surface OPs, so you're above the ground looking mm -hmm. out. Subsurface OPs, that's when you're digging into the ground. You've mounted OPs and, and, and urban OPs as well. So depending on, but the actual routine within then is, is more or less the same in terms of having eyes on, having security, people resting, you complete what's known as a communications log, so you're conducting radio checks, whatever you're given, and maybe a window of five minutes before the hour and five minutes after the hour to, the, to your HQ to conduct your comms log, and you fill out what's called an OBS log. OBS log, so you're logging everything you see. Time, what you see, enemy vehicle pulling up, two personnel dismount and conduct foot patrol for 15 minutes and then move on. Or it could be just your, your eyes on there and you're logging that yeah, every 30 minutes to the sentry, let's say in the north side of a building, to rotate the sentry. Or to change the sentry every, let's say 15 minutes, or to change the sentries at random times. The morale is high, the routine is, yeah, they're, they're in there, they're brewing up, they're conducting training as well, they're using it as a training camp. So there's various scenarios. The objective is to get eyes on, get the information, and relay that information back to a higher HQ. And this all kind of comes together on that final exercise as we spoke about where you could have a troop on the ground, You've detachments conducting CTRs. You've detachment detachments conducting OPs yeah. on this one location, getting that information, passing it back. Troop commander comes up with a plan and to launch a raid, a dawn raid on the objective, and that's the culmination of everything. Then at the end of that tactical week. Okay. And what about sustainability for for uh, OP? What can I, what, what are we talking about? Self sufficient in relation to water rations. Weapons, spare ammunition, so everything you need. If you're going in there for 72 hours or 96 hours, you're in there and it's, it's, it's more, more or less going to be, you need to plan and pack to be self-sufficient for that duration. Okay, right. And so you move on then after you've, you've done your, your um, OP phase and you move on and it all culminates in a raid. Right. Well, obviously when we talk about the different corps and everything, all, all of the corps and the defence forces in a conventional operation would work simultaneously, they all support each other. So in what circumstances do you decide that the cavalry troop are going to conduct a raid and a strike here as opposed to say sending in say um, an infantry company to do it? What are there specific circumstances or is it just... Uh, Based on what you see and the information you gather from your uh, recce taskings in, in relation to the strength, the size, 
vehicles, the, the, the hostile might have, kit and equipment that they might have that if, if, if the, your squadron commander or the, or the bigger picture, the battalion commander says, yeah, we can task a recce troop with conducting a raid, that's passed on through your, your upsell, they pass it on to, your, uh, to the troop HQ and then your troop commander plans. The troop commander, troop sergeant, will plan then to conduct that raid. You've gotten to the end of your recce course and you've, you've conducted that, that final raid and, and you've become qualified as a, as a recce soldier, but you're not, that's not you qualify in the cavalry corps yet. No, no, it's, uh, it's only, let's say, phase one of, of, of your training. So as I said, uh, troopers, come to the unit and the when the young officers, the YOs come to the unit as well, it's recce course first, that's done, then you're talking about mobility and as I spoke about, you know, the armoured cars, the Moags, the Panards, the Scorpions, but to be an armoured vehicle driver, you have to complete what's known as your soft skin training first. So that's, um, everyone I suppose is familiar with seeing the, the, the Mitsubishi Pajero Jeeps we have in the road and uh, so you start from there, you start from that level, you do your Basic driver, basic driver training. So what you learn first is your, you complete a week of rules of the road and what we what we refer to as driver standing orders. So that's your kind of defence forces rules of the road and it regulates what you do when driving what we refer to as a service vehicle. So, but at, at this stage now, said so you, you you would have to have a, a recognised driver license already. Like I know the defence forces has a facility to train someone from. Well, no, you do not have to. So. There's different ways that, so if someone can go on a driving, if they have a, a full driving license for over two years, they do a shorter, let's say, course. Mm -hmm. But people can start it on a provisional license yeah. first. So when, when they go on to the driving training, then, you know, people are at different, different standards. You might have someone who is a qualified driver for full license for the last year or someone who's only after getting a provisional license. So you kind of start from, you start from, the, from scratch, let's say. So it's your week of your, your, your admin side of, of how to rule to the road, your driving standard orders and the various uh, pieces of documentation that govern, govern driving in the Defence Forces. Yeah. You, com you complete your basic training, your basic level training on the Pajero. Completion of that then you, you get what's called an AF-154. So it's an Army Form 154. So that's your, that's your Army license to drive. You progress from there then onto your transit driving, so that's a week long. And then if you pass that, then you go on to your uh, truck driving course, which is three weeks long. So you need, you need to have done the truck before you, you do the armour? Before you do the armour, you have to do the truck. And before you do the truck, the transit, and before the transit, the Pajero. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely, yeah, yeah, yeah. So there are those, those courses that the new trooper or the YO within the unit have to do before they get to the armour. Okay. So that you've had a, you had a fairly good background in driving by the time you actually sit into. into well, by the time you sit into you sit into a, into a Moag, yeah, yeah, you would. Or a, we also conduct the. There's also basic driving training conducted in the light tactical armor vehicles as well, the the LTAVs. But it's before you do set foot in armor, and to be trained as a driver of an armored vehicle, you have to do your your basic level training. So as I said, your weeks of your admin, your driving standard orders, your Pajero training, your basic training, onto the transit and onto the truck before you go onto the to the armor. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so in, in the cavalry corps, we've three uh, variants of armor in yep. in in the in the Irish cavalry corps. So you've your, your your close reconnaissance vehicle. Yep. You've your medium reconnaissance vehicle, vehicle and yeah. then you have your uh, cavalry variant uh, light tactical, tactical armor, armor vehicle. vehicle. Yeah. So, yeah, so to get qualified in these, so the light tactical armor vehicle is a, is, a, is a separate course, but for the Moai qualification course, to be a fully qualified Moai crewman or crew person, it takes 12 weeks of training. Okay. So your, your first four weeks is your driver training. Students aren't just taught how to drive the vehicle, they're, they're taught the systems of the vehicle, so the various operating systems of the vehicle and how they operate. So 
for them as a as the crewman they have to conduct their what's called before operational servicing of a vehicle which is checking all your fluids and oils after operational servicing the vehicle on completion when they get back to barracks and if they stop within conducting an operation or driving somewhere they have to conduct at the hall servicing vehicle of the vehicle so drivers of, of all vehicles within the, not just in the cavalry corps but within the defense forces have you know knowledge of the various systems so they know that when they're checking it it's low on oil it's low on coolant yeah. it's low on brake fluid it's low on clutch fluid so they, they can identify that and as part of their driver training they're taught that so before they leave the barracks it's not just yeah okay you're driving that vehicle today draw the keys start it and drive it's do the checks as per you should and as per you would before leaving barracks because it's a big vehicle and if you're oh, in operation yeah. you don't want to be exactly you don't want it breaking down you don't want something to be wrong with it you need to check beforehand yeah and i suppose as as uh, would have been alluded to to even to you know to us overseas before is that these vehicles are as we spoke about you know cavalry meaning you know to talk about horses that these vehicles are are the horse yeah. you know and you need to look after it yeah yeah so the the first four weeks as i said is 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 driving training so it's learning the systems of the vehicle driving the vehicle then on, on public roads then it's also recovery of, of another vehicle so if you bog the vehicle how to conduct recovery operations cross-country driving and also driving at night using a uh, night driving uh, periscopes yeah so basically night, night night vision goggles for the car like In, effectively it's a periscope yeah for, for the driver but under under instruction that your instructor would have night vision equipment as well that they can see that you're doing everything within the realms of safety. So that's that's the week three of the four week course, and the final week then is um, is, is is effectively the test week. So it's it's preparing for your 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 road test. Okay. So you have to once again pass pass a road test as per the other vehicles that you would have been been driving in. Definitely, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, so after that, so you've done the first four weeks, and this is just driving the vehicle and the systems. Yeah. What comes next after that in the crewman's course? Is gunnery trainings. You are. Doing three weeks close reconnaissance uh, vehicle gunnery and three weeks then medium reconnaissance vehicle gunnery. And at the end of that... There are the big differences between the CRV, the close reconnaissance and the medium reconnaissance yeah, so the armament. On, on, the, on the close reconnaissance vehicle, uh, you've mounted a 12.7mm heavy machine gun and also you can mount the 40mm grenade machine gun. And they also have eight 66mm smoke grenade launchers as well. So within those three weeks, you're taught how to do everything with those weapons. Make sure the weapon is safe, strip the weapon, assemble the weapon like any weapon system. Mm -hmm. building, building them up to what we call as TUETs or Test of Elementary Training. Mm -hmm. How to mount the vehicle and the weapon system. You're also taught the actual remote weapon system as well on which the weapon is operated and its fire control unit and how to operate that. The three weeks of MRV gunnery training then, it's based on the 30mm Bushmaster cannon and also you have co what we call as a coaxial mounter mounted next to it within the turret is a 7.62mm machine gun yeah. and also mounted on top of the vehicle on what's known as a pintle mount is a 7.62mm machine gun and like the CRV, the MRV also has 866mm smoke grenade launchers. Okay, yeah, and I, I remember seeing the targeting system on the MRV in particular. Well, both of them really are very impressive. I mean, the CRV is able to actually target things while moving, isn't it? It has what's known as a stabilization system, so it can identify and engage targets whilst the vehicle is driving on the move, and also has a capability to, if the vehicle static, engage moving targets. And what, with regard to the targeting system on the MRV, it's, an, it's a very impressive with the, for the 30 mil cannon, yeah. which, is, which is a very imposing sort of a sort of a, we a weapon system on top of the car um, that's highly accurate as well it is yeah up to ranges about three and a half k wow 3.5 kilometers to, to a high degree of accuracy exactly yeah oh fantastic so okay so you've done your you've done your weapon system so you've done your four weeks drive and then you've done your three, three weeks close recce vehicle gunnery 
three weeks medium recce, medium recce, re, medium recce vehicle gunnery and then the week after that then is the culmination of your gunnery training which is a live fire shoot. Okay. So students are taken from firing the vehicles static, firing the vehicle a single car on the move to pair of vehicles firing on the move, conducting live fire fire manoeuvre on both weapon systems. Yeah day and night. So it's there is a, a, we conduct a night shoot as well where we use uh, thermal targetry to engage by use of your thermal imagery system within boat weapon systems. Okay, wow. And just to give people some context as well, because I mentioned that the MRV has a very imposing weapon system, but the, the casing of it, it's about the size of a Ballygown bottle, isn't it? The, the empty casing. From yeah, the it, it's just, it's about as long as, as the 30 mil round, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah. as regards like um, rate of fire, it's got a really high rate of fire for something so large as well. Oh, it has, yeah. Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's a cyclic rate of fire, but you can also fire it in three different bursts. So you can fire it single shot, in burst, and fully automatic. So what you would, you'd fire with, with students is, get them into the rhythm and routine of firing a single shot, into burst, and then up to fully automatic. Okay, yeah. wow. And so that, so that, between the gunnery and the driving, has that completed you as, as a driver for both the CRV and the MRV, or is there a bit more to do? And the final week of that course is, is, is your tactical week. So you, you're training how to deploy the vehicles tactically into occupy, occupying uh, vehicle harbours, hides, leaguers, how to drive the vehicle tactically. So tactical formations of driving the vehicle, and then a tactical OP screen as well. Yeah. Okay, right, because I suppose people don't really realise that a lot of the time you have to camouflage yourself, but you also have to camouflage the, the vehicle. vehicle yeah, yeah, so yeah. You, you have to, you know, if you're deploying into a mounted OP screen, you know, it's camouflaging the vehicle in terms of covering up the vehicle, but using your vehicle as your means of your sighting system to gather all the information, as I previously explained, for the recce course. Yeah, okay. And as regards, so, so okay, so after you've done your tactical, your tactical week and you, you've done all that, you're now qualified in the CRV and the MRV. Yeah. What is the particulars about, say, the cavalry light tactical armoured vehicle variant? It's on the, the light tactical armoured vehicle, crew of four, a driver, your IC, your gunner, and your radio operator. But what's mounted on this car is exactly the same as what's mounted on your close reconnaissance vehicle. So it's the same remote weapon station mounted, and you can change between your 12.7mm HMG and your 40mm GMG okay. with eight smoke grenade dischargers as well. And that, like, like the uh, CRV, is on a, it's, an, it's an automated um, mount. Exactly. It's a yeah. remote weapon station which is, uh, which is moved by effectively for, you know, if it's, it's like the old joystick. Yeah. Basically, an old joystick that you would use, let's say, on, a, on an Atari or a Commodore. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's going back a few years, but, uh, the, um, but it's what's known as a control grip. And what the gunner and commander have in front of them is a, an LCD screen colour screen that they can zoom in, zoom out on targets, range to the target by means of a laser range finder, and then effectively engage targets. How long is the LTAF course, the light Four weeks. Course? That's four weeks. Four weeks, yeah, and it's just, it's a driving block. It's similar to the MOAG in which you learn how the various systems in which the vehicle operates, how to drive the vehicle in public roads, also how to drive the vehicle uh, tactically, yeah. also how to use the recovery systems on the vehicles. Should you, one vehicle get bogged, you always move in at least pairs. One vehicle will never move on its own. So if you're operating in a pair, vehicle gets bogged, the, the crew are trained how to recover that vehicle. Okay. And um, with regard to the gunnery, would you have had to do the CRV before you do the LTAV or just, just to be able to do the gunnery on it? Or? Well, the, the normal kind of uh, trail is the recce course into your basic driving, into your MOAG crewman, and then go on to your LTAV then. Yeah. So you'd have yeah. some Outside of that, yeah. yeah exactly, yeah. Okay, so you've done your, your recce training. So you've come from your recruit training, your three-star course, recce qualified now. Now you're also qualified as a crewman in the crew person, the CRV and the MRV, and on, on, on the light tactical armoured vehicle. 
Um, if you want to progress in the Corps and become an NCO in the Cavalry Corps, or say for newly commissioned officers or, or people that have gone through the cadetship, what's, what's, what's the main thrust of training from there on? So from there, it's, it's a case of, um, as you mentioned, you know, the, uh, as an NCO or a newly commissioned officer is going on after completing, let's say, your basic level, your driving, your, your, your reconnaissance, your driving, your, your armour and your gunnery is moving on to instructor courses. So there's very, so you're basically, you're, you're, you're going from the student to training to be the teacher. Yeah. So it's, it, there's various instructor courses that that personnel will complete, such as the MOIG driving instructor course, basic driving instructor courses, MOIG driving instructor courses, CRV gunnery instructor, MRV gunnery instructor, uh, and reconnaissance commander and also um, NCOs and officers will complete the uh, what's known as the AFE range management course. Just so it's AFE being armour fighting vehicle. Exactly and it's, 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 they're trained how to plan and conduct the live fire range practices for these vehicles. Okay right and as regards one, one thing you mentioned the, the uh, reconnaissance commander's course, the recce commander's course being account one of the one of the tougher courses in the defence forces. Absolutely yeah and uh, personnel who have uh, you know who will, will, will complete that and who have completed it you know they, they would have went through a, a, a rigorous uh, course of, of up to 10 weeks training of basically going from being how to teach people to be reconnaissance personnel within within squadrons or within various units within the defence forces yeah yeah of course yeah. and with that with that comes a need for for a higher level of skill and kind of higher level of it's robustness it's the next so. level of, of, of physical skill robustness and and physical fitness yeah okay, yeah wow. oh, absolutely yeah. it's 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 quite a it's quite tough and in, intense course yeah yeah but i mean obviously you're going to want that if you're going to be actually instructing those new recruits Exactly. On, on yeah. becoming a, a qualified recce soldier. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. And um so it's it's that that course itself, the the recce commander's course is uh, conducted as you spoke to Sar Sergeant Carl Johnson in a previous podcast is in is, is his parent unit in the infantry weapons wing. Yeah. And all cavalry core instructor courses are conducted in the uh, cavalry score ca sorry the, ca the cavalry school in the defense forces training center and a lot of the, the basic level even the reconnaissance course basic reconnaissance course and driving courses and moai crewman's courses have been and do be conducted within the three squadrons yeah. within the corps as well oh, okay yeah, yeah. yeah and i suppose it's important to say as well that there are that the infantry have a role in recce and in their own moags as well so the oh, infantry conduct recce courses as well exactly ex absolutely yeah okay so yeah. there are colleagues in the infantry are listening and things no and and really no no def, 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 definitely not and it's even like with with, with, the, with the prana the prana vehicle itself it's exactly the same vehicle and most recently and we'll speak about is the midlife upgrade where the uh, where the infantry APCs have have um, been um, upgraded with the they have the the dual remote weapon station, so which is very similar to how they also mount a HMG and a GMG, yeah, and they also have a coaxial mounted seven point six two uh, machine gun as well. So it's 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 a, it's a quite impressive piece of kit. Okay, it's the DRWS, yeah, yeah, the newly the newly upgraded infantry vehicles, yeah, which, yeah. which we, might, we might end up doing a po doing a podcast on ourselves, yeah. But that that leads us kind of quite nicely into. Um, Kind of the future of the cavalry corps, or kind of like what what you see the roles in the future, or if there's any anything new coming down the line. At the moment, um, vehicles are the, the MRVs, the medium reconnaissance vehicles. Two of those vehicles, there's six in the defence forces. So, two at the moment are in uh, on service in Unifil in South Lebanon. Two are within the are back ho here home on island and used for crew training, crew specific training at the moment, there's actually a medium reconnaissance vehicle uh, gunnery course going on and those students in that course, the culmination of their training will be uh, a live fire shoot 
coming the week after next, the week starting the, the 15th of, of June, and the CRV, the close recce vehicle, those vehicles have their back from their midlife upgrade at the moment. So at the moment it's ongoing. It's ongoing for, for, for both vehicles, for the both platforms, the medium reconnaissance vehicle and the close reconnaissance vehicle. So it's an upgrade of, of, of the vehicle, the um, the systems within the vehicle, the driver sighting system as well, okay, yeah. and how he how he how he can drive and uh, also the, the back of the vehicle as well, which is the uh, which houses the what we previously spoke about the four man uh, recce detachment. Yeah, so this would be kind of like seating areas and stuff. Exactly. I know there's been a so, good bit of change to how they're set up and they're modernised. They've, they've, they've completely modernised and effectively for the, as we spoke about the four, six man uh, recce team, the MRV and the CRV act as a battle taxi for them. Yeah. Picking them up, dropping them off and then giving them, you know, the overhead protection and, 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 and firepower. So effectively, you know, when you, with the vehicles and the mobility, you talk about, you know, primarily mobility, firepower, protection, communications and logistics as well. Yeah, of course, which which was supporting the, the detachments that are on the ground. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Okay. So at the end of that, um, thanks very much for coming on the show, Serge. Sure, thank you. Um, there, I think there was a huge amount of information there and looks very much appreciated. I'm sure people will get an awful lot out of it. Might increase their knowledge of the Defence Forces and uh, maybe encourage a few people to join the Cavalry Corps. Um, as always, we encourage our listeners to keep an eye on Defence Forces social media, military.ie, and our SoundCloud and Acast accounts for further information on the Irish Defence Forces and further podcast episodes. Serving members are also encouraged to check out the members area of military.ie for updates. Today's episode was produced by Gunnar Porrick Sullivan and Sergeant Paul Keeley of the Defence Forces Audiovisual School. Uh, the Irish Defence Forces podcast will be back soon with a new episode. As always, to our listeners out there, stay safe.